Hi, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Today, my conversation with Stephanie Drury, uh, a feminist and um, online critic of Christian culture. I uh, hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Morning Talk Show. Today, my conversation with Stephanie Drury. Stephanie has um, a couple of Twitter accounts uh, that got her some notoriety. Um, they are she mostly makes fun of uh, uh, evangelical Christian culture through a Twitter account called Stuff Christian Culture Likes, and another Twitter account uh, where she is a fake Mark Driscoll. Uh, Mark Driscoll being a kind of a masculine douchebag pastor. Uh, in the evangelical church. I can't remember what kind of church he's a pastor of, but anyway, uh, she kind of makes fun of him by pretending to be him. So, uh, I was expecting, um, I was expecting somebody different than who I actually talked to when I talked to Stephanie Drury, because, um, she was not a sarcastic person. You know, she was a loving, caring, kind-hearted person. Um, I had been kind of almost hoping to make fun of of evangelical culture with her. We do a little bit, but, uh, you know, she's just, uh, she was so open and honest that um, it brought out that side of me. I wanted to talk to her about mental health because um, in addition to being a, a kind of a, a health worker herself, um, she has a, she has a personal story of, of her, her Christian community kind of failing her and her family in the area of mental health in a spectacular way. And I'd heard a little hint of this story on another podcast she was on. I wanted to hear more. I wanted to talk to her because mental health is um, just such a crucial um, element of, of human life and of what would be considered our, our faith life or our spirituality or our religion. Um, and I'm very interested in the ways in which religion can uh, or, or could help people and in the ways in which it can fail people, because uh, I've seen some of that in my personal life as well. So um, we get into that. Um, it was a really great conversation. I open up and get a little bit more raw than usual, as with Paul Vanderclay. Um, which was another conversation I had, another Christian I talked to, um, or a person, he, he's a Christian, and, and Stephanie is more of a, a critic of Christianity who comes from that background and, and still has a lot of that um, in her thinking. Um, talking to someone from that background makes me kind of react differently. Um, I don't feel like I'm, I'm quite as, uh, as intellectual. I might be a little more human and down-to-earth, um, I still think there's some good ideas discussed here, and, and Stephanie was great to talk to. So without further ado, my conversation with uh, feminist and online critic Stephanie Drury. 
So welcome, Stephanie Drury, to Morning Talk Show. Thank you for, for uh, having me. joining me. Yeah, no problem. Um, I was uh, I, I I was interested in talking to you for. Um, well, at first, I'll be perfectly honest. I was I, your Twitter came up, and I was like, I would love to talk to this person, but I'm not going to because I don't like the worst thing I can imagine is to think that this podcast would start to be seen as uh, a secretly promoting Christianity podcast. I don't know if you can resonate that feeling. Those are out there. They're out there. there And like, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm like a very uh, uh, overly introspective thinky person who like my spidey senses tingle when I go to certain things. I'm like, ah, okay, you're, you're putting on the veneer of the cool Christian person so that you can promote your agenda or something like that. And that kind of thing just absolutely rubs me the wrong way. But a little bit more exposure to you and your, and your thoughts and such has assured me that uh, you have some things that I'd really love to talk to you about. Um, So, First question that uh, that's kind of it's kind of a weird way to start things. I didn't want to talk to you. Now I want to talk to you. But uh, I always had uh, had absolute faith that you had interesting things to say. So uh, first question, if if you want to, is how would you describe um, how would you describe yourself and your kind of public uh, um, what what you're putting out into the into the public into the world? Oh. Wow, I think you don't that have to I, do it if you don't want to. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I really like this question. I okay. feel like I use Twitter as a, a release valve. And I had a blog for a long time back when people blogged called Stuff Christian Culture Likes. And mm-hmm. I set the Twitter then, and now no one blogs anymore. It's still a Facebook right. page, um, but I'm not on there as much. And Twitter is just the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. So I work full time. I do risk analysis at a trauma center and I see a lot uh, of stuff. I, and, but I can't say anything about it because it's all protected medical information. Um, mm-hmm. I deal, I'm, I'm part of a couple different faith communities and I am in therapy. I've been in therapy for 10 years or so. I'm dealing a lot with my own history of growing up um, a parent, with evangelical parents, a pastor dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that is stuff that still affects me in, in, on every level. And Twitter is something that I use to maybe hopefully deconstruct a little bit of what's going on. And right. it's just mainly just poking fun. And I've sworn that I won't make any money off of what I do because I think that is the giant. I've just seen so many Christian writers get turned to the dark side basically because right. they decided to accept money. I'm not saying all of them would do that, but it's too, it's too tempting. <laughs> and right. I think it's a conflict of interest and it's not what I'm really there for. Yeah. It, like it is a very interesting thing to, to take money for, um, for the things that are kind of the most uh, relevant to you or something like I was in professional ministry for a couple of years uh, at my church and that is a mind fuck. Like it is so strange. Um, and it wasn't even, yeah, you, you, uh, you can feel yourself. Um, you can feel uh, at the, at the edges of your consciousness, this little, uh, tickling feeling that your uh, like honesty is not going to be the best path. 
Um, and it, it, yeah, it, it does, it compromises you in such a strange way. I even think about that with art because I'm also a musician. Like uh, I'd love to make money from it in one sense, but it does add something to the equation. So yeah. Yeah. Anytime you're encouraged to ignore the sense that honesty is not going to, it's going to get you into trouble. Um, I think that we are taught, we're conditioned so early on to, to listen to that and shut up. And mm -hmm. that's a giant pitfall of yeah. religion, not just evangelicalism, but and it, all right. systems of power have to keep you quiet. So I think it's just important to uh, go against that. And a big part of my therapy has been listen to your intuition. Mm. It's there for a reason. And you were taught yeah. to ignore it so that they could control you. Absolutely. That's the I word that like... Uh, if you listen to my podcast, probably the only word that has been used in every single episode is intuition. Um, because I had this suspicion, I have the suspicion that intuition is under attack uh, and has been for a long time. In fact, the, the closest I ever heard to anyone actually telling me directly that intuition was bad was when I was getting in, I got into an ill-advised theological discussion on Facebook and uh, a guy who teaches theology at a at a seminary told me that I should look into intuition. It's it has its uh, the word intuition has its roots in Eastern mysticism or something <laughs> like that. Oh God forbid! I was like, whoa! You actually are are telling me not to use my intuition. I've never heard a Christian cross that line, but it is it's hinted at, and it's the sort of I mean, I always think about the psychic. Um, effect of of communities and cultures on people because i don't know if you found this but i find that so much of the effect that the culture i grew up in had on me uh was not overtly stated and probably would be overtly denied uh if i were to say like you know if i were to say like the the, the impression i get is that I'm not supposed to use my intuition. Like, I feel like one of the things that, that mark, demarcates someone as a professional pastor is that they could just destroy, logically destroy that statement on you. Of course you can use your intuition. Here's 10 verses that, you know, whatever, that, that tell you that your intuition is fine, but then it's like... But when you bring it to them, if you call them on anything, then yeah. they can find 10 verses that say yeah. don't use your intuition. Uh, I mean, it's funny you bring that up because yeah. I... A few years ago, we were attending a Presbyterian church that they did something extremely violent to another member of the staff. They just fired him. It was a total power move. He had children. It was terrible. Mm. And I kept going before the board of elders, all dudes, of course. And I, I brought my husband, but I was the one sitting there going, this is horrible what you've done. This is really bad. And I, I, at one point I said, my intuition is telling me you've done something very wrong. And one of them looked at me and said, Stephanie, your intuition is wrong. Right. And right then, that was somehow when, you know, the scales fell from my eyes. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I got to get away from these people. Right. These toxic, horrible people who aren't going to listen. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's so complicated because I, I do think intuitions can be wrong, but I also think they can be the only thing at times that gets us to where Mm -hmm. Like, you know, get where we need to be. And if we're in a community of people, then if we're in a community and someone has value in that community, their intuition should not be ignored. And I do think that, I do think that is, uh, yeah, that, that it's really unfortunate. Um, so 
my my sincere hope is that lots of people watching this podcast um, are not uh, from evangelical culture. That it would be like uh, you know my 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 it would be a great for me to hear that it was people from all over and and so far it has been um, if my Twitter activity and everything is um, is any indication like my, my followers and the comments and such. So I guess uh, briefly, how would you describe the type of Christian culture that, uh, that has harmed, I'm assuming you and me both, but how would you describe it? Like evangelical culture. So evangelical culture, it's distinctly Protestant. Um, although I believe that the abuse exists across the spectrum in all types of religion. This is just the one I'm familiar with where, yeah. You kind of demonize Catholicism, you demonize atheism, you demonize anything, mm. mysticism, you know, Eastern stuff. Uh, purity culture is a big deal. Uh, drinking, there's a weird rela relationship with drinking, you know, mm. just abiding by yeah. rules, you know, going the speed limit, um, not cursing, you know, like what cuss words are okay to say. It's just, just weird little things. And um, I don't think you can ever really relax for one second. Right. That's how I would describe it. Right. It's... Uh what I've experienced is, um, and th this is probably true in other, in lots of other religions and, and, uh, ideologies, but, um, it, it seems like, um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of no go zones, a lot of like mental walls and barriers and, and things, um, that, and, and there's kind of a, a spiritualization of, like there's an there's there's an expansion of whatever the you know the term concept creep um where like you start with a fairly simple idea and things get tacked on and tacked on and tacked on um it, you know where where it starts off with a fa fairly basic um set of of beliefs that are are possibly somewhat mysterious even and and uh and somewhat mystical with with some some open even in in the core some open-endedness and some ability to to think and then more and more things are tacked onto them and and associated like you know okay so there's this christ dying for your sins and then just just beside that is literal adam and eve you know what i mean like in terms yeah. of import in terms of importance of belief you know like six thousand year old earth it, it's just it's yes it's not the core sure sure it's not the very center of our belief system but it's like right there you know like here's the here's christ's resurrection and there's six thousand year old earth and, and that kind of thing which is like it, it, you know it, it becomes very divisive and it be, and it creates these very um these cultures that are some weird reflection of the culture outside the walls but it's very like nailed down or something um Absolutely. I think that's the definition of fundamentalism. It's mm. right, right there is you have yeah. to have these fundamental rules and there's no deviation. There's no, everything's really black and white, no gray. Yeah. Right. And there's no, I mean, this is corny, but there's no beauty in that. If everything's right. all, yeah, if there's no shades of anything. And uh, like, I, I, you mentioned atheism when you were when you were talking earlier um, in in terms of other religions, uh, and so have you found that to be have have you found that to be the case? Like I, I know a lot of people who leave uh, Christian culture or Christianity uh, just assume by default they must be in the atheist community, 
have you found that to be true? Yes. And I don't blame them at all. No. Um, the amount of abuse that they were subjected to, it's mm-hmm. amazing that they stayed with any belief system as long as they did. And yeah. I tried to become an atheist. I was really w- willing, <laughs> but I just couldn't go all the way there. I identified as agnostic, I guess, for a while. Yeah. Right. Um, I had a really good therapist who I think she was a Christian, but she would never, I think she was, she was really complex and um, it, it was, she was wonderful. She did. She wasn't a quote Christian counselor at all, but she did mm. say to me, can you create a space in yourself um, to wonder, is God real? And is she good? And that really helped me to be mm. able to say, I've never had anyone pose something like that for me before just that possibility that something mm-hmm. isn't completely black and white and i think that that set off kind of my whole um trying to move forward and figure things out in a different way and yeah. it's been so great <laughs> oh good <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's that's really it's really nice to hear that that someone um in a position of influence that you trusted was able to um yeah like uh, to 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 take away kind of an agenda and say like, just, you know, this is part of who you, this has been a part of who you are. Can you leave a space open for it? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I, I, um, yeah, that's, that's really awesome. And I, and I, it resonates with me because my, my story is similar other than that. I haven't been to um, therapy and it sounds like based on what I know of you already, it sounds like my story is a, watered down version of your story in every way (laughs) (laughs) not quite as not quite as extreme I know I really do feel like quite fortunate because um but I was also on the atheist train just assumed I was going to be there so I started listening to atheist speakers and stuff and um I just I found that I that I was too messed up like I, I, I was too mistrustful of anything that started to feel like an ideology anymore. Like mm-hmm. it, uh, like I just couldn't. And I started to hear the, I started to hear the same kind of dogmatic language coming in and the same required beliefs, you know, uh, you know, it's important that that's one of the things that it, it that it seems like, I feel bad because there's a lot of really great atheists and that I really love, but it seems like the loudest voices in atheist culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crucial that you don't believe in God in order to mm-hmm. move on with anything. Like, you know, it's crucial to begin science as though there's no God. It's crucial to begin um, anything as though there's no God. And, and so I think that leaving the mystery open, especially when you've been harmed by this culture in the past, is is important because it's it's like unbelievably unsettling to have the basis of your life and your psychological life and your emotional life completely invalidated and it may not even be necessary yeah um there are stripes of atheism that feel extremely fundamentalist to me yeah it just feels like an inverse of Mm -hmm. it's like you can't believe it you know in god you are failing at atheism you're failing at thinking yeah um you're not intelligent um because everything is concrete and i can't work with that i really can't i that's someone that i I really can't have a conversation with yeah no that's that's true and and uh i i think that um 
it, 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 it does seem to be turning around a little bit where it's, it seems to me that there is, that, uh, well, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people already on the podcast who are basically evolutionary spiritualists who are, are comfortable with the fact that um, we contain a massive amount of mystery and that the external world and other human beings contain a massive amount of mystery and that we have to move through we have to move through this um, existence, both internally and externally, um, interacting every day, maybe even every minute, with mysterious things that we don't that we don't fully understand. You know, like even if you think about the fact that we're not, we don't know how this sentence, these sentences are forming in our minds. It's so like, obvious. It seems yeah. like common sense. Like yeah. everything's a mystery. Like didn't aren't the, the most famous science <laughs> figures albert einstein everyone's like i don't know when it comes down to it that that's a mystery so yeah I, yeah I and even appreciate that yeah so much of i yeah totally a, a science is a, is a great example because scientists the, the the only way they can maintain uh their fascination and and the genuine like um the genuine awe that they have in science is because of all of these unanswered questions in their mind. If you knew all the answers, it'd be boring. Yeah. Like the adventure is in getting there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you looked at the data that was discovered in any great scientific, if you just read the data that was discovered in any great scientific discovery, it'd be so boring. You wouldn't even know what to do. What, 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 what is, what's so compelling is the further mystery that it revealed that or the or the or the the, the question that it seems to be giving the answer to. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's uh I, I think we're on the same page on this so i apologize for ranting so much uh but that was good yeah so one of the 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 reason the thing that that pushed me over the edge into okay i need to talk to stephanie drury was um the story that you had of how kind of an attempt to uh, an attempt to care for uh, um, mental health and to steward the mental health of yourself or your family uh, ended up in kind of a, a tragic story. Um, yeah. I, I wonder if you would be willing uh, to to tell your story, um, uh, the the story that I'm mentioning on on the podcast. Are you comfortable sure. sharing that? Okay. Yeah, I've had about. 15 years of distance from when it happened. Okay. Um, but it kind of came down to, um, it was when my husband and I had kids and I, we moved away. We moved to the, I moved to the West coast. We moved to the West coast and, um, my parents were back in Texas and, um, the dynamic between my parents became really pronounced after I had kids. And I never knew which phone conversation would leave me just sobbing on the floor for hours. Mm. And um, when my son was about four, he, he, he would say, mommy, it's going to be okay. Like I noticed him comforting me and I'm like, I, this is, something's really bad. This is not good for him. I mean, mm. I was fine with it being bad for me because <laughs> I'd been conditioned to be treated right. this way. And it was just kind of normal. Mm. So I started going to therapy and I, like I said before, I was very fortunate to get a really good therapist who understood spiritual abuse, understood the culture I came from, understood psychology and science really well, and knew that emotions need to be validated. And she said, your intuition, your emotions, 
these are all screaming at you messages about truth truth of what's going on here and the truth can't get through to you in other way in any other way than through your emotions and your body at this point mm. so um it was really good to see that your anger your sorrow all of these things that we were taught in evangelical christianity were bad or maybe even a result of your sin yeah. <laughs> to be taught these are normal emotions these are tools these are here to show you where a boundary has been crossed and mm. My parents, you know, I started setting boundaries with my parents. I needed her help to even feel like I should deserve to set the boundaries. Mm. Um, and when, once I did that, she said, expect a firestorm. And I got one, you know, they were really upset because this was a, it was changing the dynamic really significantly. Mm. But um, what kind of well, boundaries are, are, are we talking about just to con concretize it a bit? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of vague, isn't it? To say just boundaries. Oh, that's what okay. I... Boundaries involved <laughs> were, um, she said, every time your parents shame you, tell them, I'm going to end this phone conversation and I'm not going to talk to you again for two months. Whoa. So that would be the boundary I would set. Okay. And I was really scared to do it the first time. Yeah. My mom said something, you know, that was really hurtful, but, you know, benign to her because that's kind of how she kept me in line. And she mm. just kind of offloaded her shame onto me and my siblings. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was normal. So for me to step up and say, I really want to have a relationship with you. And in order to do that, I can't be afraid that you're going to shame me. Mm. And she didn't know, she's like, what am I doing? I'm not shaming you. I'm just telling you that your hair sucks or that you, you know, something. Okay. And so first time she said some criticized something after I told her this, I said, okay, two months, I'll talk to you in two months. And those were the greatest two months of my life. <laughs> I felt so free and I started dreading when I was going to talk to her again. And I had mm. a lot, I had to process grief about that, you know, of course. So that all this was bringing up tons of stuff for me. And when I talked to her again, she immediately violated the boundary again, kind of as a mm. power move, like alpha dog, mm. which is in charge kind of thing. So I'm like, all right, two months. This went on for a whole year where every, <laughs> so six boundaries were set, culminating yeah. in 12 months, you know, and yeah. my husband said after a year, he's like, this is ridiculous. Let's get our pastor who's a friend of theirs to um, see if he can mediate. Mm. So my pastor sent them an email, CC'd us on it. And he was, he said, I would love to sit down with all of you and see if we can talk through the issue. And my parents replied something that is so I'll just tell you what it said. They said, it's such a shame that Stephanie is making this decision to never talk to us again and that we're not going to see our grandchildren ever again. Whoa. And the pastor was like, that's not at all what I said. And that's extremely awful and devastating that you would respond this way. And they, to this day, will not admit anything that I invited them to therapy, that anything happened. Like they just... They, my sister tried for years to get them to go to therapy and they did not want to go. They finally went to two sessions and walked out of the second one. Mm. And my brother, um, they disowned him as well when he asked them to go to therapy. So this has been, been the pattern wow. across the board. And I will say that that is extremely affirming to go. It's not just me. You know, they did it to my right. siblings as well. Yeah. I mean, affirming in the most tragic way way you can use yeah. that word sorry i don't mean to laugh but it's uh, no it's, it's just you have it, to. the the terminology yeah some of this stuff is difficult to express but yeah i know what you mean it, it makes you feel less uh yeah uh like like there is a bigger issue than just you um 
Yeah, so, that's really comforting <laughs> to go, okay, it's not yeah. me. I've been feeling personally responsible for this. They created such a lovely codependent in me. <laughs> right. So it's oh, been man. really helpful to read, uh, read up on codependency and Codependent No More is a great book. <laughs> You're probably familiar okay. with it. But. I, I, I'm, I'm not personally, but uh, I, I'll check it out. Um, so then the type of therapy that you were seeking or that in that your brother was seeking was like you were you were wanting to sit down in the same room with them and, and kind of talk out some, some things. And so the element of it that I didn't know uh, was that the first time you sought that with them was actually with your pastor. So mm-hmm, it was with mm-hmm. the person from a faith community. It wasn't like you were bringing in exactly uh, some secular postmodernist, you know, uh, person. I, I don't use that it, pro- word postmodern in in it pejorative sense from well, my own. Is, that's the most pejorative thing you could say to an evangelical <laughs> right exactly yeah and and that's one of those words i've had to come to terms with but uh but yeah so it wasn't like you were bringing in that that person the my therapy sister you were tried to bring in one of those types of therapists and my okay. parents were like no we're not going to some neoliberal marxist right. kind of thing. Oh, yeah. someone took a psychology 101 course in college and suddenly they have all these problems with it. like that was 100 percent their response as well right. so the fact that they wouldn't even go to a Christian counselor, yeah, Christian lay counseling, not even a certified therapist. They just didn't want to talk about the issue. Oh man. And um, in their defense, not to defend my abuser, but they have a ton of unresolved issues. It was, it's pain from their upbringing and of them course. coming together and colliding. It just created the perfect storm. And yeah. um, it's, it is extremely helpful to see them as people who have their own unresolved trauma. That, yeah, no, that, and, that and is have compassion for them. That is honestly like a giant key to my healing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Generational stuff that gets, that gets passed on. And so how, like, how would, how would you, your parents, if you know this, how would they describe um, mental health or how would they describe sort of, would they legitimize mental health in any way? Like, is there a time that someone should go to a counselor? I don't know. I, you know, I really couldn't tell you. I know that my mom works as a nurse in mental health hospitals, and I think she developed a fear of losing her mind. Mm. And I don't blame her for that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's depression, alcoholism, suicide on both sides of my family. So mm. it runs, you know, there's chemical imbalances, mm-hmm. <clears throat> clearly. And I think that that is something that if you grow up in a household or a family system with relatives like that, you develop a, a understandable fear of that yeah. happening so you'd rather kind of turn a blind right. eye and go i'm not that bad i right. don't need to be institutionalized you know but there's part no of, middle ground for them <laughs> part of me wonders if um there's not something right in the genesis of their like original their original sense of a call to faith if part of that wasn't the idea that hey i I need something that's going to keep me from this path mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Uh, that I see. And um, here's this, this faith system um, that, that, you know, if you, if you listen to the, listen to the dogmas, um, God can, if your faith is right, just go into the house of your mind and clean it up. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I, like, and I would say, again, I'm quite fortunate in, in not my, my personal mental health um, struggles have not been 
uh, particularly acute, but, but even myself, um, I have prayed hundreds of times in my life for the cleansing of my mind that felt like it was being promised. And if I had the right faith, if, if, if I got my faith where it should be or something like that, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. And then even, I don't know if you ever had this, sorry. Oh, perfect sense. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Like sometimes there would be someone who would come and speak. And I've heard this story. These stories get like, they rush you to the microphone. If you have this story, uh, which is that God intervened in someone's mind and heart, mm-hmm. almost unbidden, you know, uh, like, uh, and I'm not even saying that that doesn't, that, that those people's stories are false. Like I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I, I have no right or ability. To, I wouldn't call, I have close friends who have had similar things like, like that happen. And I don't want to negate that at all, but I just always wondered why isn't, why can't it be me? Why can't the yes. things, why can't the, like you, someone would come and say, like, I've got, I, I was a drug dealer. I was on the mean streets. I woke up in a pool of my own vomit one day and, and, God spoke to me and said, you are, you are more than this. You are my child and you are loved. And I wept and I've never been the same since. And I thought, oh shit, that sounds amazing. That's what like, I want. Why can't I, want. I have that? That's what I want here in my like milk toast existence, like my middle class, like never, you know, three, three square meals a day existence, you know, don't have any, I don't have a record with the police. Like, you know, and, and uh, like, and you end up in these stupid mind games, you know, like my baby won't stop crying in the middle of the night. And I'm praying, God, would it kill you this one time to comfort her because it's been every night for a year and I'm losing my mind, you know, like, uh, it, it, like, and it's such a weird mind game. Like, and any Christian would tell you that's not a legit prayer. You get up and you come, you comfort your baby, but I think that's a legit prayer. I get it. (laughs) I think all prayers are. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Fair (laughs) enough. But I just mean like, I just mean any, I think, I think it's impractical. Like any, like there are lots of good Christians and, and, and and they, they would know that like, you know, if your baby's crying and you pray and God doesn't do anything, you just, you know, that doesn't mean anything about the, the faithfulness of God, but it, but like, it's just, why do these, why do these thoughts, why do these patterns occur? How could a person in their Mm -hmm. thirties like me, still be dealing with this immature spiritual bullshit in my own head like and i don't know like i'm assuming that that is relatable to you it's not a question i'm just i'm in my 40s and it doesn't go away if that helps (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm almost i'm almost 40 but uh okay so so then you're uh you've been disowned in the most passive aggressive way that makes it that the phrasing of that is so layered with like putting it back on you. Gaslighting. Putting it back. Yeah. On the person who's actually trying to initiate some sort of healing uh, and actually is saying, look, this is, this relationship is worth saving. Um, This is the solution that I think will work. And it's like, portrayed as as you making the choice to never speak to them again so Mm -hmm. i guess that's where we pick up the story uh so like oh uh, one question how did 
how did this affect kind of the ongoing ministry and uh, maybe even have, do you have any insights about the pastor who had approached them about whether this was a disillusioning thing for him? You know what, that, that has been an issue for me with that pastor because he was kind of like, this is too bad and kind of stoically moved forward. Mm. Um, and he ended up the, the group of elders I told you about before, he was the pastor of this group of elders who told mm. me my intuition was wrong. Right. So um, I just think that it all fed into my disillusionment with, with the church and um, set up, a, I, I could see patriarchy really clearly. Mm. Uh, just the fact that this was a board of all male elders and um, my husband sitting next to me I'm getting off track a little bit, but I'll circle back. But I do want to say this, okay. that as I was expressing my concern to this panel of men, I was just this weeping woman. Like, this is horrible what you've done to this family. You fired this family who's been, this guy's your brother. You know, you, you've helped raise their children. We've all been part of a family. They were here before you got on to this church and became pastor. And, and these men looked at me with a blank face and they just were like, your intuition is wrong. And my husband would repeat what I said. He's like, what Stephanie is saying is this. And they look at my husband and go, Oh, okay. So that was another, like all of this has become a really important catalyst, like for how painful it was. Yeah. It's like, I was able to make a really important realization, but as far as seeing the pastor's response, that was also telling just the fact that he was able to be so removed and unemotional is difficult yeah. for me. And I'm like, I don't know if this is the place I need to be. I right. clearly have issues with men. <laughs> I mm -hmm. need a dad. I need a dad figure who's caring. And I think that's why I'm drawn to this pastor who's got this cold veneer. <laughs> if right. I can get his attention, if I can make him engage, uh, with him, maybe I will feel like I have won back won this father I've always wanted. So yeah. that's been another good part of therapy to become aware of. Oh man. Uh, it's, it, it's so interesting that you mentioned the father fatherhood element of it. Um, I would say fatherhood is probably the most loaded and, uh, I don't know what you'd say the most seething part of my, mm. uh, my personal, uh, psychology and the thing that's on my mind the most, because, um, I, uh, well, I am a father. And so I guess uh, I, I can relate to what you're saying. And then there's also maybe the added element of uh, needing, feeling like a desperate need to be the father that my children need. Um, mm -hmm. And I should say, I have a, like, my parents have not disowned me. Um, many of the, my positive qualities I feel like come from my father, um, but uh, nonetheless, it's still very like, it's still a very complicated issue. Um, and like I, I recently heard, I was listening to uh, some apolo an apologist on YouTube. I don't know why I go and kind of listen to some of these things sometimes because it, it ends up, it's like, it's like a form of masochism or something that I go <laughs> and listen to the argumentative like uh, not a faith discussion, a faith argument. And uh, so uh, one, of the, one of these guys was interviewing a theologian and the theologian said that God does not need us. Um, and he said it as though it's a, like it's an obvious fact. 
And based on my upbringing, it did at first seem like, yeah, why would, why would God need us? You know, the whole, the whole way that, um, uh, are you frozen up or are you just very still? Uh Oh, dang it. I think you're frozen up. Hmm. Let me see if, are you there? Uh Oh, Hmm. Uh Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. Now uh, I said my internet was unstable and now you're back. Okay, cool. Still recording. All right, cool. So yeah, this is, this is actually just a really, really fresh concept. So I can't, uh, maybe I'll get your, your take on it, but I kind of identified when he said that thing about God doesn't need us. Mm. um, I was like, okay, I still believe in God and uh, I still identify as a Christian. It's becoming less and less, um, well, actually it's, it's completely unimportant to me whether God is gendered, like, <laughs> which I guess means to me, God isn't, a, isn't gendered. Or he's um, all genders. <laughs> or all genders that, yeah, like, can relate. Can you hear me I mean, call, call God he? <laughs> See how conditioning. Oh, I constantly do that. I constantly, I'm trying to just say the word God instead of he. And I like, but I also, I'm like this overthinker who's like, I don't want to specifically have it be important that God isn't male. Like, right. Uh, okay, stop brain, stop brain. Um, but my point is, I, I had to ask myself in that moment, like, what do I need my children? And like, I want so badly to say, yes, I do. But based on how the concept of need was even characterized and, and, and communicated to me growing up, I, my, my knee jerk reaction is I don't need my children, but it's like, what does that even mean? If my children died, I would be, I would never be the same. I need need them. I need my children. I I do. And, 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 and so that was like, it's funny that that would be, uh, that that would be, re- I, I would immediately relate that back to my faith. It's not funny. It, it makes perfect sense that I would relate that back to my faith and just be like, there is a, there's a huge mystery, mystery there because if my children died, um, I would not die. I would probably live pretty much the same length of time that I would have otherwise lived. And I, and I immediately thought of the story of Adam and Eve, how they were told when they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would die. And they ate it and they lived the rest of their life. They didn't die. So Satan, when he, or the, the snake, the serpent, told them, you won't die. And he was right. So... Man. But they did die eventually. Like I always yes, wondered, and I know it's eventually. a myth. I know it's a myth, but it's, <laughs> and right. I think there's a, myths are really important, and there's a lot of truth in it. But, mm-hmm. um, sorry, yeah, we won't go down that road. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a rabbit hole too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the yeah the power of of uh, metaphor and allegory and all that um, and historicity. But uh, just the way that evangelicals make myth literal like we were supposed to literally believe that yeah. a serpent came we're supposed to literally believe right. that you know, it's, yeah yeah and yeah. and even that even someone believing it's literal doesn't offend me so much as the requirement that it be primarily literal um mm-hmm. because i've, I've kind of realized that even when i was um even when i was asserting uh 
supposedly absolute faith uh, in the historicity of the Bible earlier in my life, the impacts that were forming me of it, forming me were all of the metaphorical aspects. Like that's what the, every positive thing that came from, um, mm-hmm. from my Christianity, from my, from my faith has been psychological, metaphorical, intellectual, you know, all of the positive things. And yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. sorry, that's a, mm-hmm. I, I guess th- there are so many little uh, rabbit trails we could go down. But um, the, the fatherhood thing is, I think, maybe right at the core of, of, the, of the tension that causes extreme dissonance in evangelical Christians. This idea that God doesn't need us um, and then the like, what's supposed to be the ultimate comfort is God didn't need you, but he chose you. And it's like, okay. That's, that's, I think God needs us. I, yeah. I think he does. I think that he wouldn't have sent his son to die. Like if we're going to side with the, whoever's making this argument that God doesn't need us, then why the hell do you think he sent Jesus to be murdered? Right. You know, if he didn't need us. So. Right. Yeah. It's such a, yeah. Oh, wow. He's so kind that like, yeah, I mean, it it is this idea. Yeah, there is something just fundamental. It feels like it's right at the very bottom of a lot of my, my personal cognitive uh, issues with this is that fatherhood, that fathership idea, because um, uh, actual fatherhood has really thrown, actual fatherhood is probably what instigated my um Mm. disillusionment from the faith um there were other things including some mental health things within my family um that were kind of markers and 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 impetuses but the main impetus was all of a sudden statements about fatherhood were not abstract anymore Mm -hmm. and it's funny yeah that that idea god doesn't need us is is like that's devastating yeah, and it gets into the whole idea of needy, uh, of what it means to to need, and and actually, I, I feel like need itself has been totally devalued by the culture that I have come up in, which is evangelical culture, and then also like uh, a a culture that stigmatizes uh, people who are needy, um, you know, which are all linked together does does that kind of resonate with you like 100 percent. yeah yeah uh, that absolutely resonates the your need can only you can only be aware that you're needy through your intuition and if evangelical culture disavows your intuition then you're you're screwed right you know there's no way to state what your needs are and and you feel invalidated at every turn and whoever has spiritual authority over you gets to call the shots. And Mm. I just think it leaves a lot of people just fending for themselves and constantly doubting is God real and does he love me, you know, and they feel guilty for wondering that if God doesn't need me. And that's very much what the subtext is. I'm impressed that he said it out loud. (laughs) I think that, the subtext has always been there. And the further I get away from evangelicalism, the more I think if God is real, then of course God needs, needs us. Right. And, and it's interesting because we talk about needs and um, your statements about needs went right to, um, you know, our, 
our emotional needs, our psychological needs. And, and um, I think a lot of people, when they hear the term need, they, they really think about food, water, shelter, clothing, you know, maybe they'll throw community in there. Um, but needs uh, as they were kind of um, illustrated to me uh, growing up were, were these kind of more concrete things like the needs that are undeniable. Like if you don't have food, you're going to starve. But well, on the hierarchy of needs, that's low level. That's tier one, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that's boring. Like I'm, yeah. I'm an Enneagram four. So I'm like thinking on the next, <laughs> a little bit farther down. The road. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, by my emotions, but, but to think about the needs that you're talking about and that, and those are also the needs that I think are most, uh, most crucial because those are the ones that can be unmet for maybe even an entire life, uh, you know, and your physical and your physical life continues. Um, and if, you know, if religion is denying those, then, uh, you know, then like, then screw it. You know, like it, it seems to me like, um, I've got unstable connection again, but maybe, Oh, okay. It's looking all right. Um, and, there was actually a song when I was a kid. I've thought about this many times. Uh, it was, it was a song of um, just singing, uh, making a tune to the to the verse, um, sing unto the Lord a new song. And at the end, the line is, "He will beautify the meek." I think with salvation. But when I was a kid, I thought it said, "He will beautify the need," because I couldn't understand what the singer was saying. And that actually stuck with me for some reason, like my whole life, that particular lyric, he will beautify the need with salvation. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult that I kind of looked up that song and I was like, oh, or looked up the verse or something. And I was like, oh, it's, it's actually not, he will beautify the need. And then all of a sudden this thought process trickled down and be like, actually, I feel like I would, I feel like I've never heard anyone speak well of need. Um, well, I think that, who is more in touch with their needs than the meek. Right. So you kind of yeah. maybe had it right all along. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, that I, be, I believe that I, I think that when someone has a, like an actual, a legitimate spiritual experience, which I would define as a spiritual experience that, that contributes to a positive change uh, in your life. So it, it, it really opens it up. It's not, has nothing to do with religion, a spiritual experience is something that happens in your spirit, in, in your psychology that leads to a real change. Um, it, it, that, that need was really a beautiful thing. And most especially identifying the need, you know, rather than eliminating a need, we, we, we don't eliminate our needs. We identify and meet our, our needs. Um, so. Um, yeah. I'm, and it takes courage to name your needs. I'm Oh, he's still there. Um, another thing about therapy that has helped me is to, to realize it takes a lot of courage to name your needs. Yeah. To just um, to admit that you, God, their father, ostensibly their father doesn't need them, is right. um, a really great way to disempower them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a, you talked about the Enneagram uh, I'm an Enneagram nine. So if anybody doesn't know what the Enneagram is, it's really great. You should go look it up and find out your number and then, uh, pause this video and go find it out. And then we'll talk about it. But, um, the nines apparently, um, 
and this actually makes perfect sense. It resonates with, with my life is, uh, I don't acknowledge, like it's a personality trait of mine to not think about or acknowledge my need. And when I do to devalue that, especially in times when someone else is expressing their need, you know, it's Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I can't even, I can't even access my emotions on something when someone else is accessing their emotions on something, you know, like, uh, nines take on other people other people's emotions very well. Like nines I've heard are the hardest to type themselves because they relate to every other number of the Enneagram because that's one of your gifts. You're able to relate to people really well. So it's not a gift for you to find out your needs though. <laughs> it makes it right. harder for you to discern your own self. Yeah. My needs, my needs when they, when they jump in, if they're in conflict with the needs of someone else that I'm actually interacting with, I'm like, that's not helpful. Go away. Emotions go away. Needs like, and my wife thinks I'm a psychopath sometimes because we'll be having an argument and I cannot access. It's not a matter of like mm-hmm. my emotions are coming up and I'm, I'm just quashing them. I would give anything to access my emotions mm-hmm. and show her who, who is a four, uh, <laughs> to show her uh, the needs or like the, the emotions that I am experiencing. So you'd be like, I do take this seriously. I do, like, I'm just overwhelmed by other people's, uh, mm-hmm. what other people are giving me. Um, but, uh, that, that, uh, yeah, that's the personality is such an interesting, an interesting thing in trying to understand yourself and your, your, um, family and, and loved ones. Um, I've been texting everyone frantically the last week being like, do you know what the Enneagram is? Can you go find out what your Enneagram number is and then get report back to me so we can kind of like, let's figure out each other. Like it's, <laughs> it's exciting to do. Um, great. so you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, I'm talking way too much. You mentioned earlier um, the concept of spiritual abuse, um, which I, it, it's a perfectly logical term, but I don't think it's one that's been in my vocabulary. So how would you, how would you characterize spiritual abuse? I would characterize spiritual abuse as having, first someone needs to be in spiritual authority over someone else. And this can be, pastor bible study leader parent on any level and it it comes with needing to exert control over another person another group Mm. of people and you can only do that through shame and fear Mm. so that's how i would describe it when people ask me to define it um Mm. i think that what i have experienced as positive about god has absolutely nothing to do with fear or shame Mm. Um, it's just complete. Right. What I, the reason I'm not an atheist is because I, I felt I've experienced God as being supremely loving Mm. and, um, all of my abuse, what I would describe as spiritual abuse has been things that told me that I would be punished, that I needed to be afraid that I needed to be ashamed. Right. And so I feel like it's just that twisting, like the classic twisting um, of something light into dark. Um, mm. just bastardizing something beautiful. It's right. Evil. <laughs> yeah. It's often, uh, it's often portrayed as I'm telling you some truth. If like, if the truth elicits shame in you, then that's something, that's something in you. Like the truth should never elicit shame. And so mm-hmm. what I'm telling you is truth and it's truth because it came right out of the Bible or it's truth because it you know it's logical or 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 whatever but um 
I guess it speaks to um, maybe something that's been on my mind, which is is that uh, the the objective nature of truth or the the characterization of truth as objective is part of maybe you can maybe respond to this, but might be part of the of the um, the system or might be part of the thought system that allows people to commit spiritual abuse with impunity. Mm. That Mm -hmm. does that kind of like, I guess if like, cause, cause um, the, the modern day evangelical um, world wants to portray um, a bunch of truths as, as purely objective, like not, not only is this truth objective, but my understanding of it is objective. And so if I if I give that to you and it causes you shame, you know, so be it. Because what it because it removes the subjectivity that is added by the actual relationship with the person they're speaking to. Does that make sense? It breaks it breaks down their or or maybe alleviates their sense of responsibility for the subjective um, element of the interaction. Does that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm make sense yeah yeah and going back to the black and white concept like there's no gray like there's mm-hmm. no love would fill those spaces love would say it's okay yeah and, um that doesn't take place when spiritual abuse is happening there's no right. comfort there yeah right and and so the yeah the sort of um fallacy i feel like m- might be that someone feels especially someone empowered by religious um training feels that um, the tr- biblical truth, um, as they understand it, because of its holiness, cannot be abusive. Um, that, but I-, I would say that we need to flip maybe the way that that's thought of, and to say whenever abuse is occurring, that's not truth anymore. Mm. If that makes sense, like one hundred percent. You almost look <laughs> at it more like you you look at it from the per- from the per- the more subjective experience. It's like, is this person experiencing abuse? Okay. Would God himself or Jesus Christ um, want me to be speaking something to this person that is being experienced as abuse? Hmm. It's like, how could they, how could the answer be yes to that? It's funny because the Pharisees felt abused by Jesus when he called them out. (laughs) Mm. Ah. So you can look at that okay. because narcissists will always, and not to pigeonhole narcissists, like people across the spectrum, you don't even have to diagnose them. Um, people who, let me, let me say it this way. People who aren't interested in an honest relationship are going to experience call outs such as Jesus to the Pharisees. They're not going mm. to accept that with curiosity and open heartedness. I see. The Pharisees didn't say, Wow, or maybe they did. We just didn't hear about it. I'm sure some of them did change their ways. But like, for example, the the tax collector, you know, Jesus was like, come on down and come, you know, we're going to go eat. Like he was nice to him. Mm. And the guy's like, okay, like he was grateful that he would be, he's like, why are you, I'm a bad person and I know it. And so the Pharisees (laughs) aren't able to say, I know I'm a bad person or narcissist or whoever you're dealing with. The abusers would meet your invitation for relationship with a hard heart and Mm. um, insistence on being right. Right. And so those aren't, those aren't safe people, you know, quote, safe people <laughs> to right. use the therapy term. Can't right. have a relationship with them. Those, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting spin though. Yeah. To think about 
Jesus, Jesus's uh, actions being interpreted as interpreted as abuse. Um, when that, he was just calling out their abuse, he's going, right. Hey, you guys aren't following right. the scriptures you say to believe you unwashed. Tombs. Right. Right. Yeah. Unwashed. Yeah. Whitewashed tombs or whatever, full of dead men's bones. Whitewashed. Whitewashed. <laughs> <laughs> unwashed tombs and whitewashed. Yeah. Tombs. Literally unwashed. Um, but yeah, but that does speak to, yeah, that, uh, cause the, the Pharisees in that situation were, were the ones who were, um, they were the ones who were committing the fallacy of believing that their, that their rigid system, their dogmatic system was absolute truth. So they were the, they were actually the ones asserting absolute truth in that situation. Not, not Jesus. It's like, you know, we looked at our books, we looked at our rules and you're breaking them. So you must be, you, you know, I, I like, it, it does seem like there's a lot in the story of Jesus. If you really, if you really think about it a little bit, that is about, it, it is about specifically undermining um, set rules and ideologies and, and dogmas and, and all of that kind of thing, which is probably the reason that you and I both don't call ourselves atheists to this day is that there's something there's something like there's always something higher than the stupid systems that we come up with um and if you believe there's always something higher than our systems that we can come up with there's something there's always something better there's always something more loving that love love and 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 goodness are real things that are not are not actually defined by the limit of human goodness they're not defined by whatever the best person you know can do. Like, you know, like, oh, find the best person in the world. Find the, the most loving, caring person in the world. And that's the actual objective height of goodness. You know, like, mm. that's not true. And I don't, I don't want to <laughs> think of it that way. That, that's, that's depressing. Yeah, why, that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's, I think that's why um, I've, I've been hoping to promote with my podcast, like some some em- embracing of of mysteries and embracing of higher higher things um yeah sorry i'm ranting again um, no it's good i i really like that you're doing this because i feel like our all the painful things that have happened to me and stories i've heard of other people's pain um they can all be used to give other people hope and for me to hear other people's stories I follow a, uh, an account on Instagram called the black sheep survives. And this woman is a psychologist and she's talking about how, when you speak to the abuse of power structures in your family, you'll be labeled as the back, the black sheep. You'll be literally mm. scapegoated kind of sent away mm. to die <laughs> with bearing the shame of the family. Right. Um, and just to know that she's like, you can survive, you can thrive. Um, mm. even in these systems, um, even when you are the brunt of it and you, bear so many scars yeah. from calling out the right. the horrible abuse of power in those systems that need your complacency and need everyone to like keep their blinders on and not look like all of this is giving yeah. lifelines to other people who yeah. are in the same space and can't talk about it it is mm-hmm. hard to talk about yeah. i mean you talk to use 12 step language you got to hit your rock bottom i think to be able to yeah. talk about it especially you as a nine like that's going to like be really difficult for you <laughs> to access certain parts in ways yeah. and yeah. other parts will be easy for you. Like you're able to facilitate this podcast and get along with all different kinds of people. Like that's uh, right. 
giant gift of yours. So right. I just want to say, I think it's amazing that you're speaking to this and that oh, wow. it will be a lifeline for a whole lot of people. Well, oh, uh, well, th- thank you. And I think it's amazing um, that you are willing to be so open. Like, I love that, like several times in this conversation, you've like welled up in, in tears. And I would say that that's a, uh, that's a huge strength like uh as well it's one that i've been jealous of honestly like um i remember i had a breakup once where i um i wanted to cry so bad because i wasn't like i i wasn't um i i wasn't happy to break up with this person i was you know like of course there was a bit of relief because i felt like it wasn't the right relationship but i loved her and uh and then i went I left and ran into her sister and started weeping to her sister. And I'm like, you know, it just, uh, so, so one of the great blessings that I've had in the last few years, uh, particularly related to my disillusionment of my faith and things kind of being more undefined is I've had these moments of emotion, like, like you experience where the emotions have Mm. just come. Usually I'm still by myself, but even then it's like, and I've just had some appreciation of, of, of that and been like, okay, these are the actual emotions of this thing. And maybe this will, you know, lead to some kind of positive change. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I really do appreciate your, um, your willingness to, to share of yourself that way. I don't think anyone else on my podcast has, has been, has, has been tearful. And, and, and so I, I really appreciate oh. that's, well, that's a very weird. bold. To me. No, that's great. I never cried until I started therapy and then I couldn't mm. stop. And my therapist said, you have years of tears to cry. So right. <laughs> I just do this all the time. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. Um, well, um, let me think here. How much time have we done? Okay. So it's been, it's been an hour. Um, that's pretty good. I mean, I, I feel like there's, there's probably hours I could talk to you, but, uh, um, I, I do, um, think that I don't want to make people listen for as long as I could probably talk and, and listen. <laughs> um, so uh, these days your, your main outlets are on, on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, is that right? Or are you, or what, what, what are you, uh, what are you active in these days? I mainly, I, I took my personal Twitter private and my Instagram as well. Cause I was just mm-hmm. getting too many random weird dms from pastors <laughs> like married pastors like sliding into your dms it's a thing um, oh wow so i know right so i like got rid of all my um straight male followers that i didn't know <laughs> okay <laughs> on those platforms but my um my stuff christian culture likes twitter is still yeah. public yeah. yeah i love that and and it feels to me like the type of um it's the type of trolling or, or the type of like uh, send up or, or parody that uh, can only be done by someone who has real experience and even some personal investment in a certain, in a certain culture. <laughs> so I, I can see it in there um, and, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, and I find it also interesting it, like that, yeah, like parody is kind of where you've gone to for some kind of some kind of release, which I think, I think is really interesting and compelling. So anybody listening to this should go and, uh, and check those out. And it actually belies like there's, there's almost a disconnect between, um, your kind of open, um, kind hearted, 
uh, self in person. And then these sort of um, like, I don't want to say cynical, but kind of like, that's how I come off and pointed very interesting. I, you know, I have a, I have a, um, uh, what am I trying to say? An anonymous Twitter, but it's a, an account where I have a male name Mm. and I did it as an experiment to see if I could say the same things using when they think I'm a male. Right. And the, I'm telling you, the way they respond to me is 100% different. They don't think I'm cynical. They're like, good point. But when I say the thing is myself, they're like, oh, you're just bitter. Or you're so, you know, like, it's, I uh, really think a lot of it is gendered. It's really interesting. And oh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you're any different. I mean, I, I read women that way, too, because that's just how the patriarchy works and it's internalized. But yeah. um, I do, I am aware, very aware that I come off a certain way <laughs> on the internet. Online. Just like an asshole. And, well, it's, um, it's good to, re- it's good to release yourself from the, you know, like, like if you had a, if you had a personal feeling that you shouldn't do what you're doing because it felt like you were being an abuser or something, then that would be something to listen to. But if you felt like it's just that you'll seem pissy or whatever, then oh, that's right. not, that's not a valid motivation not to do it. And there are a yeah. lot of people, there are a lot of people who need a release valve for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, I uh, mean, and this abuse is serious. There are, there are people who contact me in crisis, like in psychological suicidal crisis states. And, um, yeah. And it's because of stuff like this. So we get to be mad about that. Like it's important to be mad. Absolutely. Um, and like, my there's... phone is dying. I'm going to plug it in. But oh, okay. <laughs> I mean the, the dissonance, this is what I noticed. Uh, in myself, the cognitive dissonance of uh, of evangelical an evangelical upbringing is just like it's thick, you know. Like I, that's what I experienced. Like I just I did not know what I thought. I did not know what I believed, and it was all it was all due to this gospel that had so many wonderful things in it, and then this culture that became increasingly ridiculous you know like the stuff that you the stuff that you send up culturally the stuff that you put on your uh stuff christian culture likes like that victorious secret oh my god or whatever yeah like this this kind of like bastardization of mainstream culture uh, and and co-opting it, it to to put sort of a christian spiritual vibe on it it's the most immature stuff like the most like asinine like you know christian culture is almost it, it's tragic it's become this thing that's like it's not even culture it's like it's, like, it's almost anti-culture it's it you know yeah like, there's nothing creative about it it's all um it's all ripping off something else that yeah someone else actually created and also it's sleazy like that victoria's secret like hi you're just trying to it's like clickbait you know for yeah. christian men who can go oh it's a sermon Ooh. series so i can yeah i can retweet this and yeah do you follow dusty cohen on instagram mm-hmm. do you know who dusty cohen is oh he's no. awesome uh yeah. he's he's a guy who uh does well something similar to what you do but with like there there are plenty he's done a couple of good found a couple of good christian graphics about the coronavirus uh (laughs) my god is bigger than you like coronavirus uh, the coronavirus personified as this big mean monster and this little guy with a bible saying you're big but my god is bigger uh and just stuff like that we're like yeah uh yeah (laughs) isn't it great no or there another one that he that he posted was a church saying you can't get sick from holy communion 
Um, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's dangerous. Wow. That's a great way to get sick. Actually. I go to mass every morning before work and uh -huh. they've drained all the holy water wells and you're not allowed to do the common cup. Okay. Thank God. And, yeah. Know, it's a big deal. I'm here in Seattle. So we're at okay. the epicenter of the outbreak here, but I'm glad they're taking it seriously because just wait y'all. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, anyway, I've appreciated this conversation so much. Um, I, I've, you're the second Christian person I've talked to. The other one I haven't published yet. And I mm. do find I have a, a lot of uh, verbal diarrhea when I talk to Christian people because I start treating you as a therapist. So thank you for, <laughs> thank you for being gracious. And uh, you just treat us like friends. Yes. <laughs> you're just able to be open. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'm trying to do. So yeah, good. I, it, but yeah, I still feel shame. You know what? That's me. That's me actually right now even... Uh, apologizing for trying to express what's on my mind. So here you're I am. Canadian and you're a nine. So <laughs> you have those two things. Yeah, I'm not technically. I am actually from the U.S., but yeah, I, I probably oh, yeah. I probably absorbed the, uh, <laughs> the apologetic. Politeness. Yeah, Canadian. It's more deference than politeness, to be honest. I, I find mm. I find it's more deferential. It's not. Oh it's, yeah, it's yeah. not a vir it's not a virtue. It's not virtuous like Canadians <laughs> like like to portray it. It's it's civility. It's like don't talk it's don't tolerating. talk to me. Yeah, I'm being polite to you by not speaking to you in the line at the grocery store. Like that's wow, that's the yeah. you know the type of politeness. You know, it's not it's not warmth <laughs> it's not warmth in any way, but anyway, I love Canada. <laughs> so no, no, I love you guys too. Yeah. So uh yeah, so I guess stay healthy in uh in Seattle there and 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 thank you very much uh for this conversation. I hope maybe someday in the future we can talk again. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on.